Acts chapter 8, and let's uh, begin reading from verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a, as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus, and we'll stop there. Let's open a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to be together in, in your house and to come around your word. And Lord, I pray that as we continue our study in the book of Acts this evening, that you would undertake, that Lord, you would uh, be honored and glorified this evening. I pray that you take your word and you would apply it to each of our hearts. Uh, may you teach us and instruct us through the truths contained therein. Lord, I pray that you would empower me now through the Spirit. Give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. And we pray that everything we do now will bring glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now we began looking at chapter 8 of the book of Acts um, two messages ago. So we've already done two messages on chapter 8 and this is the third. And we said that here in chapter 8 there are four men who each have a central role to play in the narrative of chapter 8. And so far we've considered the first three of these men. We saw Saul, the great persecutor. Uh, first of all, as we began chapter 8, we came across him. We saw that Paul, Saul sorry, was um, driven by a sense of duty to persecute the church, to persecute those who followed Christ. He believed he was doing the will of God. He believed he was serving God. And then we encountered Philip, the evangelist, you know, Philip was one of the seven deacons there at the church of Jerusalem and he left Jerusalem when the persecution came and he went up to Samaria preaching Christ unto them. And Samaritans heard the truth and they believed and the gospel had come to the Samaritans through the mouth of Philip. And so the, the gospel is beginning to spread throughout all the world. And then we came to the third main character last time, Simon, the sorcerer. We saw Simon was a man who was heavily involved in the occults. You know, he was a man who used the power of Satan for his own personal gain. He used it to gain a great following. You know, he magnified himself in the sight of the people. He proclaimed himself to be the great power of God. And so he gained a great following, but then Philip comes to town preaching the truth, and we saw that he lost his following. And so Simon made a profession of faith, seeking to learn the secret of Philip's power, Philip's miracles. 
He made a profession of faith. He even got baptized. But sadly, as we saw, he never truly believed. He never got saved. And in contrast to Simon, we now come to this final character in chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, this man, <clears throat> this man stands in complete contrast to Simon, who made a profession of faith but never truly believed. Here you have the Ethiopian eunuch who believes with all his heart, he, he readily and he hungrily accepts the gospel message. And he goes away experiencing the joy of the Lord in his heart. And so this evening, I want us to consider the events leading to this man's faith in the Lord. And I want us to see how God was in complete control of the situation. Notice first, if you would, in this passage, we see Philip's call. Philip's call. Verse 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. As chapter 26 here begins, sorry, verse 26 begins, Philip is called by God to leave where he is and to head south. We need to remember where he is at this time. Philip is in Samaria and he's preaching the gospel to the Samaritans and he's seeing the gospel have a great effect. He's seeing many get saved. He's seeing a great work unfold before his eyes, isn't he? A great revival is taking place. Many are coming to Christ. Many are being baptized. It's a, a great work. It's a great time to be in Samaria, isn't it? And as he's doing this, as he is involved in this great ministry, God comes to him and God says, Philip, it's time to leave. I want you to leave and I want you to go down south on the road to Gaza. The second half of verse 26 tells us that the instructions of God here are very specific. It says that he was to go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem under Gaza, which is desert. Now, according to the commentators, there are two ways that you can go from Samaria down to Gaza. You can go out to the coast and you can travel the nice road down the coast to Gaza, the easy road. That's the road that you would normally take from Samaria. That's the way people would go. That's the common route. And the other road was to go down to Jerusalem, first of all, and then to take the road to Gaza, the desert road. This is the road less traveled. This is the road that most people don't take. This is the road that, you know, is a desert road. It's also a deserted road. There's not many people on this road going from Jerusalem to Gaza. But this is the route that he's instructed to take by God. You see, it's, it's very important here that we understand that his, his instructions from God are more than just leave and go to Gaza. It's go to Jerusalem and then to Gaza on that road. There's a particular road the Lord wants Philip to be on. And, you know, this makes the call to leave Samaria seem even more strange, doesn't it? Forget what we know about the rest of the chapter for a minute, okay, and pretend we've only read to here. It seems strange already that he's told to leave where he is, where a great work is taking place. But even more strange is that he's told to go to a desert road, to a deserted road, one where no one else is usually traveling. Now, why would God do this? Why would God call him to leave a great work where many people are getting saved and head to a road where perhaps he wouldn't see anyone. Why would the Lord 
do this. You know, according to man's wisdom, it doesn't make much sense, does it? You know, the wisdom of man says, Philip, that's, that's not the right thing to do. Now, I'm sure if he talked to some people, I'm sure some well-meaning Christians probably said to him, Philip, it's not the right thing to do. Don't go down there. It doesn't make any sense. Stay here. This is where things are happening. According to man's wisdom, it doesn't make sense. You know, I was thinking about this. We we wouldn't be surprised to read in this passage that the next verse says, Philip, ask the Lord why. We wouldn't be surprised to read that, would we? Because you see, that's how we would react, isn't it? You know, if we were involved in a great work and things are happening and it's really exciting, people are getting saved and the Lord said, I want you to go here, and we knew there's not much happening there, we would ask God, wouldn't we? We'd say, why? Unless you're more spiritual than me. But most of us would ask, why? Why is this, why is this happening? Why, why do you want us to do this, Lord? These instructions don't make sense. And so, you know, we wouldn't be surprised to read this from Philip, would we? You know, the wonderful thing is that as we read on, we don't read of any objection from Philip. We don't even read that Philip questions the Lord. Verse 27 simply says, and he arose and went. It's a pretty glorious little phrase, isn't it? God said, do this, and he arose and went. You notice here that it doesn't come into what Philip wanted. This is not about what Philip desired. This is not about what Philip wanted to do. This is what God wanted. And Philip said, okay, I'm going. You see, I'm sure that what Philip wanted was to stay where the work was prosperous, to stay where all these people are getting saved. But God said, leave, and Philip simply arose and went. He doesn't argue with God. He simply obeys. You see, Philip understood the principle of of Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. Just turn there with me. I'm sure we know these verses, but Isaiah 55... verse 8 it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Philip understood this principle. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows better than we do. Philip understood that God knows best, and so he listens to the Spirit. He leaves this great work, and he goes, as he is instructed by God to do. You know, we need to learn this principle as well in our own lives, that God knows best. God's ways are not our ways. God's wisdom is far greater than our wisdom. You know, even when his plan seems like foolishness to us, If that's God's plan, then that's the one we need to take. Because God knows best. Like Philip, we need to willingly submit to the Master's plan. We need to allow Him to direct our paths. You see, Philip couldn't see the events that are about to unfold. Okay, Philip doesn't have the the opportunity to read the end of chapter 8 and know what's going to happen. He doesn't know. And so he makes this simply trusting the Lord. He steps out by faith and obeys the will of the Lord. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but you know who did know? God. God knew what he was doing, didn't he? God already knew the events that were going to unfold here in chapter 8. It was God's plan. 
And Philip was part of that plan. God knew what he was doing. And God knows what he's doing in our lives as well. We just have to trust him. You have to learn to say, not my will, but your will be done. And trust him. Submit to the master's plan. You know, even if that means sometimes forsaking all to have nothing and do his will. That's basically what happens to Philip here, isn't it? Philip's asked to give up all, basically, and go where there's nothing. But God doesn't always do that to us, but sometimes he does. And we have to be willing, don't we? Have to be willing to let the Lord make that decision. Let the Lord tell us it's time to leave it all and go and do this for him. We must be willing to submit like Philip. You see, this task that Philip is asked to undertake was far from foolish. And Philip is about to discover that, isn't he? In verse 27, we read that as he travels along this road, he meets a man who is searching for the truth. Verse 27, it says, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. We're told here that this man is an Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, much more than that, he's actually the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. Okay, Candace, the queen. And so he's a man of great authority, a man of great power, great wealth. Okay, he has a, a position of authority in Ethiopia. And the region referred to as Ethiopia here corresponds more to modern-day Sudan. Okay, and so as you look at a map, you've got Egypt, and then below Egypt is Sudan. And then below Sudan is what we call Ethiopia. Okay, he comes from Sudan. Okay, that's the region that he is from. And so it's the region just south of Egypt. And so we have this Ethiopian eunuch, this man of great authority, great power and prestige. He has left his home. He's traveled all the way to Jerusalem. Why? As it says at the end of verse 27, to worship the Lord. And so evidently this man is a proselyte of the Jewish faith. Okay? He's, he's heard of the, the God of the Jews and he has come to believe in the God of the Jews. And so he's come to worship the Lord at Jerusalem. Now this man has traveled over 200 miles or over 300 kilometers to worship the Lord. This is dedication, isn't it? This man is searching for something, isn't he? He's searching for something. He's left his home. He's traveled all this distance to Jerusalem to worship. You know, sadly, when he got to Jerusalem, what he would have found is a dead religion, you know, a dead orthodoxy. And now he's on his way back home, and the Lord has something in plan for him. You know, this is a long journey to undertake, and he doesn't undertake this journey lightly. You know, this man had wealth and power, but there was something more important that he wanted. He wanted to know the Lord. That's why he's doing this. He's gone to worship God. He's seeking the truth. And, you know, we find as he's traveling back home that he's in his chariot and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. Verse 28, it says, was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. And so while he's at Jerusalem, he's evidently purchased himself a scroll, you know, a portion of the scriptures, and he is now reading the scriptures on the way home. He's still searching, isn't he? He's hungry to know more about God. 
You know, the Lord is preparing his heart here, isn't he? You know, the Lord is preparing this man's heart to meet Philip on the road and to receive Philip's witness, the gospel message. And verse 29 tells us that the Spirit said, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And so Philip is traveling this road. He sees this chariot. Now, this chariot probably wasn't alone. I mean, he's a man of great wealth and power. So he's probably got servants and others traveling with him. He sees this chariot and the Lord says, Go join yourself to the chariot. Go speak to the one who's traveling in the chariot. You know, beloved, this was the reason God had asked him to leave Samaria. This is the whole reason he was told to leave. Because this man, this one man, was seeking the truth. Shows how important one soul is to the Lord, doesn't it? You know, here you are, here he is in Samaria, and all these souls are getting saved. And the Lord says, No, I want you to go and meet one, one soul on a road down to Gaza. And so he meets this man, and the Spirit says, Come alongside him and help this one to see the truth. Now, it really is amazing to see how God was in complete control of the whole situation, isn't it? Now, you think about it, Philip was told to leave, and he had to leave at the precise moment to come down and meet this man at the precise moment on this road at this particular time, in this particular place. This is not a chance meeting. This is the, the providence of God. You know, it started with Philip being willing to obey the call of God, didn't it? You know, if Philip had refused to obey God, he would have missed the opportunity. He would have been a bit like Jonah at first. But instead he obeys God and so he ends up in this place and he meets this man, this Ethiopian eunuch. And secondly, now we see that Philip preaches Christ unto him. Philip preaches Christ. Read verse 30 with me. It says, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest. <clears throat> and so the Spirit has said to him, Philip, go and talk to the one in the chariot. And so Philip now approaches the chariot and he hears this man reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip asks him, he says, you know, do you understand what you're reading? You know, Philip here approaches the chariot with boldness. Again, think about it, okay? This is a man of prestige. Okay, he's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's the treasurer to the queen. He's not traveling alone. He's probably traveling in a convoy. And the Lord says, go and speak to this one in the chariot. And he approaches him with boldness. He listens to the spirit. He obeys. He approaches this man and speaks to him. Philip knew the instructions of the Lord and he obeys here with great boldness. Now, as I was thinking about that this week, how often does the Spirit instruct us to speak to someone? And we shy away from speaking to them. You know, we, we you know, go, oh, I'm too afraid. I'm too scared that they'll, they'll reject the truth. I'm too scared of being mocked. And so we hold our tongue. The Spirit's saying to us, talk to them. The Spirit's saying, you know, open your mouth, go and approach them. But how often do we pass up the opportunity for fear of being rejected? How often is there an open door of evangelism, but we fail to take it? We lack the boldness to approach them. You know, Philip here is a great example of how we need to respond, isn't he? 
The Spirit said, speak to him, and, Spirit, and Philip obeyed. He said, okay, Lord, you know best, and he approached the chariots. He doesn't balk at the fact that this man is rich. He doesn't balk at the fact that this man is powerful. This man is not traveling alone. He just approaches the chariot and speaks to him. He approaches with boldness. You know, this boldness came from his walk with the Lord, didn't it? It came from his faith in Christ, his relationship with God, his power, the power of the Spirit upon him. And so Philip now approaches the chariot. He asks the man, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And in response, the Ethiopian eunuch is very honest. He admits that he can't understand unless someone gives him instruction. Verse 31, he says, And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. Now he's very honest, isn't he? He says, I can't understand. I need someone to show me. I need someone to give me understanding of the truth. You know, the Lord brought these two men together in this place. And as Philip approaches with boldness, Christ, God now gives him the perfect opportunity to preach Christ under him. This man is reading from the book of Isaiah as he approaches. This is not chance. It's the providence of God, isn't it? God is at work here. Now, as we read on, we, re we see that the place that he's reading from and can't understand is Isaiah 53. Verse 32, it says, The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened, he gnawed his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. He's reading from Isaiah, but not just from any passage. He's reading from Isaiah 53. Now, that wonderful, glorious chapter, which is all about the suffering servants. And then the verses in particular that he's reading and stuck on and pondering is verse 7 and 8, which we just read. Okay, it's a quote from verse 7 and 8 of Isaiah 53, which describe how Christ, the suffering servants, willingly laid down his life for you and I, for sinners. As a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Laid down his life willingly for us. And the eunuch turns to Philip and he says, you know, who is the prophet speaking about? Is he talking about himself or talking about another man? Verse 34, it says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some of a man. Now, beloved, once again, how clear is the providence of God here? You know, you can imagine Philip, as he hears this man say this, he reads these verses, and then he says this to him. You can imagine this massive smile come across his face. Because the Lord has given him the most perfect opportunity to preach the truth. If you can't understand and get excited about God's awesomeness here, the control of God, the, the, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. Something's wrong, beloved. Now, I was reading this week. It just thrilled my soul to see how much God was leading every step. You think about all the things that have happened here already. You know, Philip is called to leave Samaria, to travel a road that not many people travel in the desert. He meets a man by chance. This man is reading Isaiah 53. 
This man is reading from verse 7 and 8. This man is asking, who is this one that he's talking about? Beloved, God is in complete control of this situation. The providence of God. You know, Philip now has the most perfect point to start from in preaching Christ under this man. He couldn't have asked for a better passage, could he? To start from. And Philip proceeds to take these verses and to show this man who Christ is. Verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Philip takes these verses and shows him that the prophet is talking about Christ, the suffering servants. He shows him that Christ died in his place. He shows him that Christ is the Lamb, led to the slaughter, willingly dying for you and I. Beloved, as I said, Philip couldn't have asked for a better starting place to preach unto this man Christ. Beloved, God had prepared this man's heart. God had prepared this meeting. And Philip had the privilege of leading this man to Christ. The great privilege of leading him. All because he obeyed the call of the Lord. He obeyed and now he has this privilege. And now we see thirdly and lastly this evening, we see the Ethiopian's faith. You see the Ethiopian's faith. Verse 36, it says, And as they went on their way, they came under a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? You know, immediately here we see that Philip's message has an effect upon the eunuch, doesn't it? It has an effect upon him. Because as they pass by this body of water... The eunuch says, you know, you see there's water here. What hinders me from right now getting baptized? Basically, he says, I want to get baptized. Now, evidently, Philip has, in the course of preaching Christ to him, he's spoken about the necessity of baptism. Okay? That's obvious, isn't it? Okay? He's not going to ask about baptism if Philip has not talked about it. You know, at Pentecost, Peter told the crowd that the appropriate response to the truth was to repent and be baptized. Just turn back to Acts chapter 2, Acts 2 and verse 38. <clears throat> Starting verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Believe, get saved, and then be baptized. That is the appropriate response to the truth. And so it's reasonable to assume that that's what Philip has told the eunuch here as well. Now he's told the Ethiopian eunuch that the response is he needs to get saved and baptized repent and be baptized and so as they pass by this body of water the man says i want to get baptized what hinders me from being baptized right now in verse 37 philip makes it clear that the only requirement for baptism is faith in christ he says and philip said if thou believest 
with all thine heart thou mayest. Philip says there's only one condition, there's only one thing that needs to, to be true for you to get baptized, and that is that you are saved, that you've put your faith and trust in the Lord. You must believe with all your hearts. And he says if you do, then you may be baptized. Now this is in contrast to Simon the sorcerer. You know, Simon had a head knowledge, but he didn't believe with all his hearts. Head knowledge is not enough to save us. We must believe with all our hearts. And you know, baptism without first being saved is pointless. Simon found that out, didn't he? Simon made a profession. Simon got baptized, but Simon was not saved. Baptism without salvation is pointless. And so Philip makes it clear to the man, he says, if you believe with all your hearts, then you can be baptized even now. And the unit responds to Philip. He said, it says, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's a simple confession of faith, isn't it? Really simple confession of faith, but it's, it wonderfully declares to you and I his saving faith. You see, he believed with all his heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Of God. He is who he claimed to be. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, unless a person believes that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, they can't get saved. You have to believe that. You have to believe that before anything else. You have to believe and understand that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, that he is God manifest in the flesh. Unless someone believes that, they cannot be saved. Unless they believe, as Pastor preached this morning, that he is indeed the pure Redeemer, born of a virgin, so he's sinless because he's the eternal Son of God. Unless man believes that, they cannot be saved. And so the eunuch here testifies that he believes that Christ is God's Son. And therefore, Christ is able to purchase his redemption. He believes, therefore, that Christ is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He believes that Christ suffered in his place. And the eunuch here is wonderfully and gloriously saved by grace through faith. And having declared his faith, he now calls for the chariot to stand still so that he can be baptized. Verse 38, it says, And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. They stop on the side of the road, they get out and in front of everyone else who's there, immediately, right then and there, the eunuch is baptized. You see, beloved, the only requirement for baptism is that the man is saved. There's no other requirement. You didn't have to complete a discipleship course. You didn't have to be saved for a number of months, a number of years, a number of days. He simply had to be saved. Because baptism is simply a public declaration of our faith in Christ, isn't it? It's identifying with him. It's saying, I believe, I'm saved. It's a public declaration. And that's exactly what the eunuch does here. He makes a public declaration of his faith. His faith in the Lord. You know, verse 38 and 39 make it abundantly clear to you and I what type of baptism is used here. Verse 38, it says... 
and he commanded the chariot to stand still and they both went down into the water. In verse 39, and when they will come up out of the water. It's abundantly clear that Philip and the eunuch both go into the water. The mode of baptism here is immersion. The word translated baptized there at the end of verse 38 is the word immerse. It means to get fully wet. Can't go past this without saying this, can I? That's what it means. It's not talking about sprinkling. It's not talking about pouring or any other form of baptism. It is full immersion. They both went down into the water and Philip immersed the eunuch, picturing Christ's death, burial and resurrection. And in doing so, the eunuch declared his faith to all who were present. You know, beloved, in the eunuch's baptism here, we have a wonderful pattern to follow, don't we? A pattern to follow as a church when it comes to the ordinance of baptism. You know, this man was baptized at his own request after giving testimony of his faith. Does it sound familiar? When we baptize, that's what we ask for, isn't it? That it's at their own request and it's after giving a testimony of their faith. This is the pattern we follow. Because, beloved, salvation is the only requirement for baptism. Salvation is salvation alone. You know, Philip's work here was now done. We read in verse 38 and 39 that he is caught away by the Spirit. It says, and when they'll come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotos, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. It's a very abrupt ending to the passage, isn't it? Now, verse 39 here, it tells us that, you know, they come out out of the water and Philip is caught away by the Spirit. And the eunuch sees him no more. And it seems that Philip is supernaturally taken from this place and transported to another place, Azotos, or Ashdod, as it's called in the Old Testament, and that's where he's next found. Now, this is a strange and unprecedented event, if you like, in Scripture. But, you know, we have a similar thing happen when the disciples, you know, they're in the boat and, and immediately their boat came to shore. Just go with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we just read from verse uh, 20. It says, But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Now that passage, they were in the middle of the sea, and then all of a sudden when Christ's in the boat, they're at the other side. It's the same idea as here. It's this idea that something takes place immediately. And so, you know, that's what it seems to suggest here in Acts chapter 8, that Philip was there, they come up out of the water, and Philip's gone. And Philip is now somewhere else. And so it seems that Philip is miraculously and swiftly taken from the eunuch's presence. And the reason is that Philip's work was done. Philip was sent there for a purpose, to meet this man's need. The man's need had been met, and now Philip is taken away. Why? Because God has more for him to do. 
Because where is he now found? Verse 40, in Azotos and passing through, he preached in all the cities. Until he comes to Caesarea, he's got more to do. The Lord says, I've still got work for you to do, Philip. The job's not done. You know, as for the eunuch, we read in verse 39 that he went on his way rejoicing. Now, this man had the joy of the Lord in his heart. He didn't care that Philip was gone. He wasn't like Simon seeking for someone to follow. He was following Christ, wasn't he? Philip's immediately taken away and he's got joy in his heart. Why? Because this man is truly saved. And he goes with peace and contentment that can only be found in Christ. You know, we're not told what happens to him after this. But, you know, we can assume that he took the message back to Ethiopia with him. That he took this wonderful truth of Christ back to his homeland. Now, beloved, the gospel truly was spreading unto all nations, wasn't it? The gospel had spread to the Samaritans, and now the gospel spreads to the Ethiopians. And, you know, Philip had the wonderful privilege of being involved in both. He had a hand in both. Beloved, we need to understand that the reason Philip had this privilege is because he obeyed the call of the Lord. It comes right back to the start. He obeyed the Lord. He willingly followed God's leading even when he couldn't see the reason for it. Beloved, God knew what he was doing. You know, like Philip, we must be willing to follow the leading of the Spirit, to follow his call on our life. We can't always see the reason that things happen. We can't always know why God is leading us in a particular direction. We simply have to trust him. We don't understand that God knows best. He is on the throne. He has a plan and a purpose to everything. Like Philip, we need to willingly submit to that plan. You know, as we obey the Lord's leading, we can be sure that God will go before us and God will prepare the way. God will give us open doors to witness for Him. And when God gives us those open doors of evangelism, we must be ready with boldness to take those opportunities. Beloved, let us pray not only for God to give us opportunities to witness, but also that God will give us boldness to take those opportunities that he gives to us each day. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this story here of the Ethiopian eunuch. We thank you so much, Lord, that you are indeed a great and mighty and powerful God. And Lord, your hand is seen right throughout the events that take place. Lord, every step of the way you will lead, and every step of the way we see your providence. And Lord, we see your servant willingly obeying. And Lord, you blessed his ministry because of it. Lord, I pray that you help each of us to understand this same truth. May we submit your will. May you go before us, and Lord, may you give us boldness to take the opportunities that you present to us, I pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.